I'm reading from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me in the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. The sovereign Lord will show his justice to the nations of the world. Everyone will praise him. His righteousness will be like a garden in early spring with plants springing up everywhere. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Big dreams and great expectations. Everyone loves a good story of reversal, rags to riches. Do you have a hope that you've almost given up? Think of a story of reversal where hopes are dashed, but finally realized in the end. And I invite you to put that in the chat box. New hope, new beginnings, big dreams, Reversals of Fortune. I think it's hard for us to think of reversals right now because we feel like we aren't experiencing them. <laughs> but please feel free to do that and uh, Perhaps you may read as we, as we continue together. We long for reversal today, don't we? Great expectations. In this Dickens tale, it would look as if Miss Havisham finally sees her groom arrive. The window shades are raised, the sun streams in, the desiccated rotten wedding cake gets replaced with a beautifully decorated, fresh baked one. Miss Havisham's tattered wedding dress is exchanged for a sparkling new gown of silk and lace, and the so long postponed and apparently never to happen wedding takes place. There's great laughter and smiles 
among the throng of friends and family who burst into her loneliness from out of nowhere. Big dreams come true like Nelson Mandela emerging from his jail cell after endless years of unjust imprisonment. He walks out into the sunlight of a new day that dawns for him. This is injustice and oppression rolling back as the once incarcerated man takes the oath of office as president of the very country that locked him away for 27 long years. And Isaac says, when there was a change of leadership in this country, Jed Bartlett suddenly felt a little more attainable. <laughs> All right, and great expectations become reality when exuberant crowds stand on top of the Berlin Wall in 2005, hardly believing reality. They take sledgehammers to the wall as the old order of things is banished. It's East German families streaming through the cracks in the walls to embrace their loved ones who've lived for decades only three miles away but they're inaccessible on the other side. It's tears of wonder that the impossible has happened. Great expectations and big dreams come true when Frodo Baggins wakes to the sight of Gandalf, whom he was sure was dead. But there he stands watch, laughing so contagiously that all the bystanders join in. It's Samwise Gamgee asking the loaded but joyful question, does this mean that everything bad that has ever happened is going to be unmade? It's God's yes to that question. You see, God has a dream for all people that they will be liberated from bondage, restored to wholeness and accept Jesus' savings, saving grace. The people of Isaiah 61 are discouraged. They've come home from exile and nothing has turned out like they expected. The situation in the country is not improved. There's crime and incompetence everywhere and the righteous people suffer. It feels like the prophecies set them up for disappointment. Where's the promised prosperity, peace, joy? Yet, it was spoken by the prophet, even though some of the exiles are back and shocked at what they see in their homeland. With beautiful poetry, Isaiah describes restoration, renewal, reversal. He invites them to dream of how restoration will look, to comfort the brokenhearted, to free the captives, to encourage those who mourn, to reverse the situation of the poor. God is at work in the midst of the exiles, both those who are still in Babylon and those who have returned to the land. Isaiah gives them the images to populate their dreams. God will make things new, a new spirit, crown of beauty for ashes, joyous blessing instead of grief, festive praise instead of despair. Instead of being uprooted and transplanted as spindly plants, the Lord will give them new vitality, 
replanting them as towering oaks of righteousness to display God's glory. God gives them a new task to rebuild the ancient ruins and a new covenant that is everlasting, a new place in the world known among the nations as people blessed by God, new clothing, garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness and a new future. The sovereign Lord will show his justice and righteousness springing up like plants in springtime, all things new. Were these welcome words to this tired, defeated people? Were they met with hope and joy? I think so. And they continued to bring hope to generations after. Perhaps they wanted to know how this transformation would happen. And Isaiah tells them in verse four, they will rebuild the city, empowered by and partnering with God. God will start the transformation in their hearts from grief to joy, from despair to praise, from instability to strongly rooting in God, from falling short of God's goodness to displaying lives that are saved and righteous. The coming of the Messiah, Emmanuel, will come and does come at last centuries later in the person of Jesus. But for now, the people of God watch, wait, hope, and reveal God's glory by the way they live. Many years in the future, God sends a Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, who deeply identifies with his people. When Jesus begins his ministry, he intimately understands the plight of the world into which he comes. They're longing for deliverance, hope endlessly deferred, poverty, racism, inequity. It's a world much like the world of Isaiah 61. And he launches his ministry with a quote from Isaiah 61.1 in Luke 4.18. We read, and he declares to all that this is his mission to put things right. Our circumstances are not so different from those of the exiles and from those people subjugated by the Roman Empire. Broken promises and disappointment, dashed hopes and crushed expectations. Does this sound familiar right now? Do you feel beaten down or exhausted? It might describe your personal circumstances, the relative or friend who let you down, oblique medical prognosis, financial insecurity, grief, dashed hopes of a reunion with loved ones this Christmas, or perhaps it's systemic failure a political party, government policies, racial inequity, or maybe you face spiritual disappointment. When is Jesus coming or is he? How long must we wait? All our props have been pulled out from under us. All the things we thought we were that were predictable and secure. And it becomes so natural to fall into fear and anxiety and cynicism. 
Our world doesn't want to hear the same tired old platitudes that so-and-so politician will get us on track. That we can go on living as if, as we've always lived. Things will get better. People around us are filled with unanswered questions with no easy answers. But out of the dust and smoke and darkness comes someone bringing good news. It's people all too easy to take for granted those who are essential workers and first responders. They move through the smoke and sorrow to offer heroic help and it's never enough. But in Advent, we await the coming of one who will bring help that is more than enough. The one who is Emmanuel, God with us. I've asked Doug to share a sermon by Michael Curry, Bishop of the Episcopal Church USA. He preaches from all the lectionary texts for today, but he picks up this theme of dreams that God has for us in our future. Dreams that we are invited to claim for our own. It's short. On this third Sunday of Advent, we hear readings that speak profoundly and in different ways of the dream of God, a dream that God has for this creation and this world, a dream that God has for every man, woman, and child who has ever walked or ever will walk upon the face of the earth. We hear something of that dream, for example, in Isaiah's lofty vision, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year, the jubilee year, the year of God's favor, the year of God's reign, the year when God's dream is realized, even in the midst of our worst nightmares, God as a dream. We hear it again on the, the longing of John the Baptist as religious leaders come to him, probably with some sense of skepticism. They come to him, are you the Messiah? Was it skepticism or was it a faint hope that maybe the world could be different? But in either case, John knows I am not the one, I am not the Messiah, but there is one coming because God has a vision for this world. God has not abandoned God's creation and God will not and the Messiah is coming because God has a dream. But I'm particularly struck by Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they sang among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. Those who sowed in tears will reap with shouts of joy. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dreamed. When I was a little boy, in Sunday school, in fact, I learned a little poem by Langston Hughes that is probably still taught to children to this day. It went like this. Hold fast to dreams, for life without a dream is like a bird with a broken wing that cannot fly. 
God has a dream, a dream for this world, a dream for every one of us, a vision of life that reflects God's dream and God's vision for the life of the world, society, and for you and for me. God has a dream. The psalmist lived in the time of a nightmare. Once upon a time, the people of Israel lived and dwelt in their land as a free people. But the time came when they lost that freedom, when armies under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon besieged Jerusalem 586 BC, besieged the city, raising the countryside, breaching the walls, entering the, the holy city itself, desecrating the temple that had been built by King Solomon, and then carting the leading citizens of Babylon, of Jerusalem, off to a virtual slavery, if you will, in Babylon. It was there in the Babylonian exile, as it is sometimes referred to, that they cried and longed to breathe free. It was there that they found themselves in a bitter servitude. It was there that one of the psalmists wrote, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and wept when we remembered the Ozine, when we remembered home, when we remembered Jerusalem, we wept by the waters of Babylon. And then in time, God acted silently, imperceptibly. God acted. The Babylonians were overcome themselves by another empire, the empire of the Persians. And the emperor Cyrus conquered the Babylonians and in a reversal of fortunes, set all those whom the Babylonians had enslaved, he set them free, free, free to be all that God intended and created them to be, free to go home, Free, they were free, and as they were going home, somebody said and remembered when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, then we were like those who dreamed. It was like a dream that had actually come true. See, when reality is impacted by the fantastic reality of God, it is so incredible that we can barely believe it. Seems like a dream, but it's actually the real reality. Oh, hold fast to dreams. A life without dream is like a bird with a broken wing that cannot fly. But with a dream, it can soar. Some years ago, I was in Botswana. Uh, visiting um, some of the ministries of, of the church churches there and um, had an opportunity to, to go to a place called St. Peter's Parish, uh, which is in Gaborone, the capital city. And I remember when we pulled up in one of these vans, um, it's, it's sort of a, 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 an enclosure and um, the church is here and then there's a daycare center for uh, children. Um, we pulled into the courtyard, if you will, and the children were sort of on the other side of the courtyard um, under the trees. This is the hot Southern African um, heat, and so it was hot and sweltering um, even early in the morning, and so the children were under the trees 
and they were having some lessons there. And when we pulled in, um, all the children stood up and they welcomed us and they began to sing, you know, that song, Good Morning to You, Good Morning to You, with smiles on our faces and bright, shiny faces, Good Morning to You. And so we pulled up and we walked over to, to the children and Father Andrew, who was the priest at the church, and uh, he and his wife started the daycare for children in the neighborhood. Um, he had all the children. They were standing up very great manners. And in fact, I told Father, I said, we need to import those manners back to the United States. It might be helpful. But anyway, the children stood up, and then when we had them sit down, he asked me to tell them some Bible stories, and I told them some stories, and we sang songs, and um, you, know, uh, you know the song, um, uh, Oh, how does that song go? It's the one where you stand up, praise you the Lord, hallelujah. So that one group stands up when they say praise you the Lord. The other group stands up when they say hallelujah. So we were singing praise ye the Lord, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. And then everybody, praise ye the Lord. And so we were doing that and having a good time. And um, then it was time for the kids to go play. And I told them another story. And so father dismissed them and they ran off. Um, to the other side of the courtyard where there were swings and monkey bars and that kind of thing. Everybody except one little girl. She got up slowly, and I noticed she had been sitting in a chair, in fact, not on the ground like the other kids. And noticed that she had one of those crutches, you know, the kind that wrap around, the, uh, wrap around your wrist. And so she took the crutch and, and stood up and staked the crutch in the ground and pulled herself up. And you could see she had shorts on, and you could see her weak legs trying to walk. And she walked haltingly, but with a sense of determination. And she started moving and picked up a little speed, and she fell. And you wanted to get her, but you knew you had to let her do it. She took the crutch and staked it in the ground and pulled herself up again continued to walk to join the other kids. While she was walking, I asked Father Andrew, who's the priest there, um, what was her story. And he said that the director of the daycare, they, they go out into the neighborhood um, looking for children, uh, young children, um, who could be in daycare, pre-kindergarten and kindergarten. And they try to get the kids ready so that they can go to school. And they particularly look for children um, who aren't necessarily abandoned, but, but have often been orphaned because of HIV, AIDS, and the spread there, and parents who have died, and usually grandparents or extended family who are trying to raise the children. The director came on this one house. She heard about this family, and she went to this one house where grandparents were watching for this child, and her parents had died, and she was not ambulatory. She was in bed, and they kept her there, and they fed her and did the best that they could, but she was receiving no medical care, and she was unable to walk. Well, they allowed the church to become part of her life, and they sent physical therapists and medical folk, and they worked with her and got her to the point where she could walk. She learned how to walk with that crutch. God bless physical therapists, and God bless medical folk, and God bless people who teach with children. Anyway, they did it, and they got her and showed her how to walk, and as we were talking, she fell another time. And Father just said, leave her be. And she took that crutch, and she staked it in the ground, and pulled her little self up, and picked up some speed, and eventually got over to where the other kids were. And once she got there, Father Andrew said this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, we believe 
that God has something better in store for every child. And it's our job to help that child find out what it is and then live. My friends, we believe that God has something better in store for this world and for every man, woman, and child in it. And that is the dream of God. God's got a dream. A dream for you. A dream for me. A dream for us all. God love you. God bless you. And you go ahead and dream. Amen. Wonderful. So what blocks your openness to God's dream? What suppresses your willingness to dream with God that we can join God in the proclamation of good news in our community and to the nations? What stands in the way of your great God-sized expectations? Is it fear that you will alienate your friends? That you won't know what to say? That you'll look stupid because you don't know all the answers? Have you settled for the status quo? Now, have you noticed how eager we are to share other good news? How our joy is infectious when we do? What keeps us from eagerness to share the good news that God has reached out to us to reconcile with us, to set things right, to heal our brokenness. Let Jesus Christ shape your dreams, mold your expectations, give you joy that spills over to others. Our desires and dreams set the trajectory of our lives. May God invade our dreams with hope and great expectations. Amen.